Radio 4. I know, but that's your... Is that you being a kid? Yeah, because of the whole joke about, hey, fellow kids. I'm like, I'm doing a 90s reference in 2021. That's okay. kind of the point. Go for it. It's I'm the not, flip. I'm not saying anything. I'm leaving this in. Hey, hey, fellow kids! Seriously, is that what you're doing? Hey, hey, fellow yeah, kids. Yeah, it's like Chrissy the Clown. Yeah, I know, but you said to me you're going to pretend to be cool. Yeah, but... But is I that pretend... A, yeah. Hey, hey, fellow... The button yeah. on the iPhone. Fast forward 15 or 30 seconds. Okay. That, 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 that was left in by accident. What, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> well, you said that you were going to make a really good intro. Yeah, I was going to, but then you interrupted. My crusty, the, my crusty, the crown, you know, that one. It's really late. I've drunk a lot of wine. Hey, hey, fellow kids! Seriously, hey, hey, fellow kids. Out of everything... It's five years, six years I've honed that intro. Yeah. And you think, hey, hey, fellow kids. Well, my other intro got stuck in for the last six years, so I think I'm a fucking expert, actually. Okay. Lang- one, language. Uh-huh. Two, you said that you could do a better job, and this is what you're coming up with. Yeah. Hey, hey, fellow kids. Yeah. See, there was, there's been some there's been some flack from right. a very tiny proportion of your listeners who don't like your intro. So what I'm doing is I'm encouraging you to make it longer and more annoying to, to just, you know, to kind of demonstrate the fact that this is a free podcast that you do in your spare time. I don't know how we drop into the podcast from this moment. Well, I think you just put the intro back on again, to be honest, because this is probably a lot more no, annoying. No, at some point, we've got to drop into having chat. How, how do you do that, Proton? No, well, you're the one that said you know exactly how to yeah, change the intro. Yeah, but suddenly you turned it into a technical thing that I don't understand. No, I haven't turned it into anything. I'm sitting here listening to Look, you. You, li- said, you said you know exactly how to change the intro yep. to make it like a really good intro for everyone yep. to listen to because people have been complaining about the intro. Yeah. And all I heard was, hey, hey, fellow kids. Yeah, that's what the people want. Give the people what they want. Like Krusty the Clown from yeah. The Simpsons. Everyone loves a bit of a Krusty the Clown joke. I'm not sure this is adding a lot of value. Uh, no, that was exactly the point. It takes value away. That was the point. The point is it takes value yeah, away. Yeah, so that the people who don't like it can figure out how their phone or other device works. You told me not to worry about the people that no, don't I, like I it. No, I know. they shouldn't. You shouldn't worry about them. Well, but you know me. I can't sleep at night when people yeah, say bad things. Yeah, you need to get the fuck over that, dude. Again? All right. There's children listening. You knew who you were asking to do to get on here. Your foul mouth wife. That's just that's just what you get. How much have you have you had to drink today? I mean, I mean, you know. Listen, can we? You said you were going to do a good intro. Yeah. A better intro than I've ever done. Yeah. You've got the floor. Five seconds. Are you ready? Five. And I'm looking forward to this. It's better be good. But do something. You've got to do something better than, hey hey, better kids. Okay. Oh hey hey, kids. Like Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. So you got the floor? Yeah. Let's hear this work of genius from you, okay? Three. 
<laughs> Sorry to disrupt your flow. From five, do you want five? Yeah. Five, four, three, two, one. Enjoy the free podcast, mother. No, 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 no. Try not to swear. Can, no. do it? Can we do it without swearing? Okay. Five. Do you need ten? No. How long do you need? I can do it. Okay. Five. Without swearing. Four. Three. Two. One. Enjoy the free podcast. Mother. No, 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 no. Jen, I don't know if this is working. Happy podcast, everyone. Hope Happy everyone... podcast, everyone. Yeah. Maybe I'll just end on a polite note. Should we just go back to the original? Yeah. Okay. It's betting, Jim, but not as we know it. This is big. This is Bashcast, episode number... One, eight, three. It is 13 minutes past 12pm on Friday the 10th of December 2021. afternoon's Bashcast. Those pesky World Cup qualifiers from November. We're going to have a look at some what odd paddies on those. And how we uh, model over gold in a group of games. Discussing about managing groups, managing gambling groups. How you go about getting runners together and how you deal with them. Not looking at 180s, but 170s in the PDC World Championships that start next week. A summary of golf betting and virtual racing in 2021. And we decide to keep what has been referred to as possibly the most annoying intro to a podcast of all time. All of that and more coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. Microphone sounds really muffled. I don't know why it sounds muffled. I've spent an hour and a half trying different settings, trying different leads. I don't know what's wrong with it. Maybe there's something stuck inside the, the, the microphone head thing, I don't know. Hopefully it's not too annoying. Um, hey, why don't we uh, why don't we start with the mailbag this week? Because um, we are you know 182 episodes. I've only had guests on about 10, 
or so. And every time I have a guest on, I maybe get one or two new listeners. And it's always great to see what people are saying uh, when you get some new listeners. So let's open the mailbag, shall we? And we're closing the mailbag. Let's not read that. All right. I mean, I mean, I guess thanks for taking time out to get in touch with the comments, I guess. Um, all, all constructive and non-constructive criticism gratefully received. So last night over after dinner and the kids had been to bed and we'd had a few glasses of wine, you may have been able to tell, Jen said that she could come up with a better intro given the feedback that we've been having. And um, that was what she came up with. So, yeah. Um, hope everyone's well. I've had I had Joseph on last time, so I didn't talk about any um, betting. So it's kind of been a month now, a month and a day, because I, was, I spent all yesterday faffing around with this microphone issue, which I wasn't able to solve. Um, had my had my annual shield, which is now biannual because the pandemic last year. So my my shield is my golf shield. I play it with my buddies, James, John, Rich. Uh, the four of us live together in a in a really disgusting student house in Sally Oak in the late 90s. And um, um, it, throughout the 2010s, we've met up annually to play 36 holes of golf, and we have a shield for the winner. It's quite tricky to meet up. I went travelling to Australia with Rich in the year uh, 2000, Sydney Olympics. I came home. He didn't. He stayed over there. He's now... Well, he wasn't the upper echelons of Ian. I don't know where... Eon, the energy company. I don't know what he does now. He's left there. He's doing something. Um, so it's difficult to meet up regularly. And the discrepancy in handicap between the four of us is quite ridiculous. It really is. Uh, John plays off scratch. Uh, Rich plays off maybe eight or nine. Uh, James plays off 15, 14, 15, something like that. And I barely get to 36. I, I'm a terrible golfer. I love it. I'm absolutely terrible. I shank it every other time. I don't have much distance off um, off the tee. Um, the less said about my sort of fairway irons, the better. My approaching is diabolical, and my putting is almost non-existent. Other than that, I'm quite a good golfer. Um, and so I sort of struggle to hold on to the 37 handicap, um, or the 36 handicap, which is like the maximum limit. Um, and... We played at the Forest of Arden on the first day, which is where the Hero Open was um, last year. Brilliant. Take me to the championship course and play me off the white tees when I, I struggle so much. And playing Stableford. Stableford accounts for a, a, handi a handicap difference. And so you're now just playing against your mean as opposed to playing against um, the guys that you're playing against. Otherwise, John would just win the Shield every year. It'd be boring. Do you know what I mean? Um, and... Um, John is winning after thirty after eighteen holes, but I'm in second place, so I'm still in it. And then on the driving range on the second day, I just take my first practice shot, and I've got golfer's elbow, which is nothing to do with golfer's elbows, to do with lifting the Olympic barbell and um, um, sort of sixty kilograms in the air and above my head um, at the age of mid forties and not having good form because I'm not in a gym now. I'm not doing all the stretch and everything like that. And that's caused tension in the tendons between my elbow and my wrist. And my God did that first, uh, practice shot hurt. And then, so I went three holes 
11-12-11 on the beginning of the second round. So I've got, I can't hit the ball. I'm definitely out of it. And then the last six holes, I have no idea what happened. I went one over par in the last six holes. Every shot was beautiful. And of course, because I'm getting two to three shots per hole over John, and I'm going one over par over six holes um, net, uh, he doesn't have a chance. He would have to go eagle, 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 which of course he can't do. And I took on the shield. I, I, it means nothing and it means everything as well. I took it down to the engravers, engraved it incorrectly. In fact, well, the engraver engraved it with exactly what I told him to, which was the year 2019. Why I thought to give him that year, I don't know. It was the last year the shield was played. Um, and now this golf shield, which never had had my name on it before, has my name on it with the incorrect year. Are you able to correct engravings on trophies and shields? I don't know the answer to that. I've been debating it because it's like you would have to... There's obviously, when you engrave, there's an indentation which would have to be filled in somehow, rubbed in with with other areas of the shield or some sort of material. It's not going to look good. Uh, uh, yeah, I've ruined the shield. Anyway, let's talk about some betting. Uh, I wanted to talk about the World Cup qualifiers last week. However, um, we had um, Joseph on for I, what I thought was a really, really good chat. And uh, I haven't set up... I haven't set up the pages that I wanted to, so let me just pause the bashcast here and I'm just going to come back to it once I get my setup going. All right, edit monkey here. That was... Uh, that was efficient enough for anyone listening. It was about two minutes for, for me in real time. So, um, yeah, listen, these are some success that I had in late November. It's always good to talk about success because it was one of the bigger days of the year or the bigger weekends of the year. This is the weekend of the um, the Saturday the 13th of November and Sunday the 14th of November. Now, a lot of people criticise the World Cup qualifiers. And to be fair, some of them are just ridiculous. Um, don't get me started on the women with a 20 nil. If you look at the set of results that day, it was England 20, Latvia nil. But then in other games, it was like 11 nil, 8 nil, 6 nil. And you're like, well, there's no sporting event there. It's just demoralising. If you saw the lady who was in goal for Latvia, she could barely clear the ball out of her own area. So, you know, there's no... No one's ever arguing that there shouldn't be... The um, equality in sport, but there's no equality between those two teams. Um, those are athletes against non-athletes. Well, why would you ever pete those two types of people together? So it was a terrible spectacle, the 20 nil in the um, ladies' game and the 11 nil and the 8 nil. And you sort of have to do the same. Um, I think there needs to be the same in the World Cup qualifying. Why are San Marino uh, and Gibraltar? And these teams getting on to the same pitch as Germany and England. It serves very little purpose. From a modelling perspective, um, um, we've discussed before that there certainly can be edges uh, and fluctuations in these prices. A lot of people say, a lot of betters, and a lot of... Um, there's, there's this sort of popularist opinion that because these things are difficult, that means that from a betting perspective, they're unpalatable. And I see it as completely the opposite way around. Because they're difficult is why they're very attractive as a betting prospect. I think it's often very difficult to find edges in a, a Sunday afternoon 
Premiership game, Manchester United versus Arsenal, because there's so much money that has shaped all of the markets together, you're the last in the queue to see if you can get an edge anywhere. Um, and that can be very difficult. Whereas in some of these secondary um, games, the Bosnia and Herzegovina versus Finland and things like that, there's less money shaping them, and therefore they should be a little bit easier. Now, this particular edge we were looking at it was twofold. First of all, we take every game, and we put every, every game through the game centre, and from that we can get every single goals-related market score, both halves, win both teams to score, win both halves, etc., etc. How do we do that? It all comes from the original assessment of the over 2.5 price. We're going to say we're going to go with the exchange where we can get the exchange, where there is liquidity. And we have some logic about whether we need to use the back, the last price match, or the lay. If it's too gappy and we cannot automate an assessment of the exchange, which will happen when the market just opens and in the liquid markets and secondary games, then we will then move to uh, a, an assessment of the bookmakers. And because we're getting the over and the under and 2.5, we can add some markup. In fact, we did this just yesterday. We did. We, we for years we've done this on games manually, where we've literally, literally, we asked the BB team to visit a bookmaker or a, a number of bookmakers, look at the over two point five price, and go, with their eyes and type it into bookie bashing. That's how we get the price in. It's extremely inefficient when you want to look long term and large scale matches. So we tried to automate it yesterday, and we did that with success. Unfortunately, by bringing in a huge amount of data, which we then, you know, you have to link up all the team names, synonyms, and everything like that, we knocked over the um, XG database. And by knocking over the XG database, we knock over the game center, the bet builder, the bet tracker, the coupons tracker. Everything comes from this database of over 2.5 prices, because that's what we use. We use inverse person on the over 2.5 to get the XG for the game. So everything comes from that. And when that goes down, everything went down. And unfortunately, we're still working on it this morning. It seems to be quite a glitch. So every time we turn the coupons tracker on, all the CPUs run up to 100% and then they fall over again. And it's taking a while. Anyway, the over 2.5 price is critical. And we monitor that. And we monitor it across um, the exchange. And then bookmakers price up multiple matches uh this happened uh, things to happen in multiple matches that's what i need to say so william hill do this skybet do this ladbrook's coral do this paddy power do this paddy power do this every big league match day a saturday a sunday champions league day and they have these what odd paddies they have them online they have them in store they're always higher price in store which means if they're good online they're very good in store um, an example on the 14th of, sorry, the 13th of November, uh, 23 or more goals in Saturday's uh, 7.45 FIFA World Cup qualifier matches, 50 to 1. So what we do, what we've always done, is in the morning we make an assessment of the over 2.5 price. Can we get it from the exchange? If not, can we get it from a bookmaker? You know, various confidence intervals. And then once we've done that, we can reverse engineer XG and then across all of those games we can add the expected goals up and then from there we can project forward. So it's like projecting backwards, get the XG, sum them all up that we need to. In this case there were four games at 7.45. The four games um, were 
Montenegro versus Netherlands, France versus Kazakhstan, Belgium versus Estonia, and Wales versus Belarus. So we work out the XG of those games uh, based on the over 2.5 price, and then we can just sum all of those together. So for example, they might be 2.7 a game for, uh, in each of the four games, add them all up, that's 10.8 over the four games, and then we can do some funny distribution th- stuff forwards and backwards with that. And generally what happens is that bookmakers price up everything negative EV to begin with, with the information that they had when they were setting the markets. Of course they do. Why would they price anything up plus EV? So when we go through all of these bets, we set them up in the morning, and they're generally all negative EV. One or two might be plus EV, and then we start to cause some issues. I understand because we put plus EV bets up early. A very small number of people can get them, and then they get cut, and then understandably people get frustrated when they can't get on them. That's not the purpose of what we're ever trying to do. What we're trying to do is put up all the negative EV bets. and We might spend three hours putting negative EV bets up, for tracking and then over the day well look if the over 2.5 price drifts on average then nothing's going to happen negative ev bets just become worse ev bets and if they stay static nothing's going to happen so all that time might be wasted you, you could argue well that's not what we're doing it for we're doing it for the days where the over 2.5 price on average steams in and that's exactly what happened with wales Bel- belarus montenegro netherlands France, Kazakhstan, which I believe was the big steam of the four, and Belgium, Estonia. Across all four, there was a big steam in over 2.5. And what happens when there's a big steam in over 2.5? There's an increase in XG over those four games. And when it's happening across all four games, the combined XG actually now starts to get really big. And bets such as 23 or more goals in Saturday's 7.45 FIFA World Cup qualifier matches... Um, 50 to 1 um, started off the day at 51 to back 73.2 fair odds by the time we got to lunchtime 12.33pm that had steamed in to 51 to back 36 fair odds right my days and we had a number of these bets we had 50 to 1 for 23 or more goals we had 7 to 1 for 19 or more goals we had uh, 16 to 5 for 17 or more goals. We had 18 to 1 for 20 more, one or more goals. So there's all these different li- lines, but they're all based on the same premise. It's all the same premise of the um, over 2.5. Actually, over at William Hill, we also had over two goals in each of the four 7.45 Euro World Cup qualifier games at 9 2, which I believe was about neutral when it went up, and then was like hugely, hugely plus EV by lunchtime. Um, uh, so uh, they all steamed in. And that's just the smart money saying, look, there are going to be goals in this. There's going to be go- more goals predicted in these games than first predicted earlier on or anything like that. And as I say, this doesn't always happen, but it's beautiful when it does. And when it does, they rise up in the tracker, go to the shop, smash the shops as much as possible. Because, of course, we may be restricted online. That's why we smash the shops. So we went into the shops, into Paddy Power. And um, each of these to bet, to win four figures. And, you know, they lay four-figure liability easily on each of these bets. I mean... Um, you know, mid-range four-figure liability some shops are laying and stuff like that. And I'm just going to get on every single one of them because these opportunities are few and far between. You don't know how many goals there's going to be. I mean, what's the big one that's going to come in? 
maybe the 50 to 1 will lose, maybe the 18 to 1 will lose, but can I hit the 16 to 5, etc, etc. So I'm on all of them. I'm on the 17 or more goals, 19 or more goals, 21 or more goals, and 23 or more goals. By the way, 23 or more goals, there's only four matches there. We're looking at um, 5.75 goals per game for 23 or more goals. But then it is those silly games. Anyway, how we, how, how did they uh, transpire? How did those games finish? Well, Wales-Belarus starts off 5-1. So we've got six goals. We're immediately above our um, um, 5.75 per match. Uh, which we need to we need to start off on a on a good run rate. You know, only two goals. It wasn't looking good at halftime, by the way. Here's the halftime scores: Wales two, Belarus nil; Netherlands one, Montenegro nil; France three, Kazakhstan nil; and Belgium one, Estonia nil. Now we need um, between seventeen and twenty-three goals. And at halftime, we've got two, three, six, seven. We've got seven goals at halftime. That is well under the uh, required run rate. Um, and then there was just a glut in the second half. And it finishes Wales 5, Belarus 1, as discussed. Montenegro 2, Netherlands 2. So now 10 goals from two games. Um, Belgium 3, Estonia 1. Okay, so that's um, 14 from three games. So we just need three games from the France-Kazakhstan to start um, uh, um, triggering some of these bets. And um, what's the big one? The 50 to 1 was 23. So we need um, uh, um, uh, nine goals in the France-Kazakhstan um, match because we've got 14 already to trigger the 23. And France-Kazakhstan, which is 3-0 at half time, then goes Benzema, 55 minutes. Benzema, 59 minutes. Uh, goal disallowed for Depay, 73 minutes. Rabiot, 75 minutes. Griezmann, 84 minutes. Mbappe, 87 minutes. And now we're at 22 goals. Uh, and the 50-1 to one triggers, if we can just have one more goal. We've already missed... Um, We've already missed, well, had the goal disallowed. Um, Aurelian Tumen, Tumeni, uh, I mean, that's awful, tries to catch the keeper off guard with a long-range shot in the 93rd minute. But the Kazakhstani, I don't know if you were watching it, the Kazakhstani goalkeeper pulls off an absolute worldy fingertip diving save just over the t um, onto the bar and then flicks above it. And uh, that match does finish 8-0 for France. And we finish unbelievably with 22 goals in four matches from the Saturday 7.45. So that smart money really got it right. And that triggers um, huge EV. It, the 16-5 was like 4.2, 3.4. Uh, the uh, the 19 or more goals, 7-1 to one was like 8, 6.1. The... 21 or more goals was 19, 15.2. I mean, huge EV and the smart money was correct in this. The only one that wasn't correct was the 50 to 1, and it missed it by that fingertip save, the 51-36. 23 or more goals in the Saturdays, uh, 7.45. But three of the four triggered for a really decent payout. Over two goals in each of the four 7.45 Euro World Cup qualifier games triggered uh, at 9-2. Uh, topping up the profit from Paddy Power at William Hill um, even more. And for most stupid games that everyone says, oh, we'll come qualifiers, it's not, uh, uh, let's get back to the Premiership to make some money. You go and make some money on the Premiership. I find it really difficult. I would much prefer France versus Kazakhstan any single day of the week. Also that afternoon, 
we had a very decent win. This is the stupidest win in the entire world. I just noticed this whilst I was going through my results from the day. Ireland versus New Zealand. Just because um, the rugby was on, I'd actually been working a lot on uh, try and expected tries modelling model. I found a load of value on the Barbarians versus Tonga, uh, which was at Wembley. And there was a load of request events where if you assume that the both spreads were priced up relatively accurate, all of the request bets around tries in a half, tries in the game, each team to have tries in a game, each team to have tries in each half, they were just all huge. And so I was like, well, they were mad. And then the game got called off for coronavirus an hour before. I was like, that's bloody typical. Although probably unrelated as well. Sorry, that's probably, it was probably related. There was probably some reason for an expected try drift um, in that match. So I've been looking a lot at the rugby. I'm thinking about a rugby tool in the future and how that would work. Because it does seem to be that there is an edge there, a discrepancy between expected um, tries. And that's all that we want. As soon as somebody's pricing expected tries up a little bit too low, we can go and take advantage of them. Now, first try scorer in a match, this is a really technically complicated edge. So sit down and listen carefully and get your mathematical brain on, and I'm going to explain to you how this works. Go to odds checker, and if any bookmaker is top price, buy a little bit, bet on it. And that's the strategy. It can't be a bad strategy. At worst, if the bookmaker is sitting out on his own, you see, normally we would take the bookmaker's prices and add a little bit of markup. If a bookmaker is sitting out on his own for a particular player, that's probably, at worst, a neutral EV bet. And depending on how highly it's priced, it's a positive EV bet. It's not a terrible strategy, is what I'm saying. Right? You're not going to lose money doing that. And um, just because my guy was in shop, uh, and actually probably just because I had odds checker open in front of me, I just opened up Ireland versus New Zealand. Oh, look at that. There's William Hill. They are 18 to 1 on James Lowe. And the next price is 14 to 1. That's quite a difference between top price. That's over 10%, which is about what I'm looking for when I'm looking for top. There's actually a service out there. Excuse me for shouting in the microphone. Cause there's actually a service out there. I forget the name of them. But the, all they do... And by, I'm not discrediting this, it's a perfectly reasonable strategy, is that they look at top prices around the market, and if you're an, if there's an outlier somewhere on any market, they say, there you go, there's your value bet. In fact, to be to be fair, that's a benchmarking strategy that we use at Bookie Bashing. The fact that they charge a little like, a sort of comparable amount is outrageous when that's the only thing that they do, whereas we do that and everything else that we do. So the same as maybe there's a there's a service maybe that rhymes with Bob Medge, and um, all they do is put a few coupons up uh, and track the price against the exchange and the lay price of the exchange. Um, they don't they don't price up any markets themselves. They don't offer a horse racing tracker. They don't offer a golf tracker. They don't offer a bet tracker, a shop intel tracker, calculators, tools, anything like that. Um, let me just uh, let me oh, well, drink. Um, and they're more than us. They cost more than us. How can they? Ch- how can they charge? Oh, well, people will pay what they pay. Anyway, going back to this, James Lowe eighteen to one, Ireland versus New Zealand. Um, uh, we just went big on it for no other reason than you know, because William, because it's William Hill. The difference there is that we can go and get the price on the machine, which really helps with anonymity and sort of long term staking and the ability to get on, which is half of the game. You know what I mean? 
And um, yeah, Ireland beat New Zealand that afternoon in a crackerjack of a match. James Lowe was the first try scorer, 18 to 1. And so it was just one of those, everything had come in that afternoon. So I was like, ah, we've had a really, really good day. Mostly around the, the steams that happened in the, the four World Cup qualifiers in the evening. A little bit of James Lowe and then Ireland in the afternoon as well. So, yeah, there's a little bit to celebrate there. The following day, we didn't deserve to have a good day on the Sunday because we'd had a good day on the Saturday. And typically what happens, and this, I, I do notice this pattern, the bets come in, the what odds paddies and the your odds and everything come in on the Saturday um, and then they're just terrible on the Sunday because the traders have been they've been hit really badly and so they just cut the odds so that there's not a chance, even with some steams, there's not a chance of them being good. But what we did do was we were betting um, on a lot of the coupons. Now, there were some, some interesting things going on in the coupons, especially Serbia against Portugal. Now, smart money had come in for Serbia. And what, did, what happened when the smart money came in is it made a load of different markets quite highly plus EV for Serbia. On the Betfred coupon, the Betfred coupon, um, the team to win both halves, sorry, team to score in both halves, Serbia were t- nine to one on there, and they'd come all the way down to six point eight. Of course, there's no there's no exchange market there, so the only people that know that six point eight is fair odds is the people that are modelling it themselves in real time. But I mean, ten to back and six point eight, it's a huge. But and also on the total goals, which is team to win and over two point five goals. Serbia were 14 to 115.0. Again, there's no exchange market, or there is an exchange market, but there's no liquidity. And 10.2 was the fair odds. Now, at the time that we saw this, it was noted that um, some people, um, they love the, the horse pushers, and they were posting the horse pushers, but they were like 3 to 1 to back 4.0 in the exchange, either because the uh, Arbors had got there first, and had driven the exchange lay price up, or because Fred was just not in a mood to offer any value. But it is a staple, and some people do enjoy it. And, and of course, if you're making some money and you're betting, I, I, I never want to detract away from what it is you're doing. As a community, I sometimes feel like it's our job, however, just to highlight and make available where the huge EV is. And... Um, I think I didn't use Serbia as an example. I think it was... I asked BB team to talk about Elgin, stupidly, because they were similarly massively priced on the coupons whilst people were looking at the pushes. And they were like... I, I believe Elgin scored both halves was something like 4-1 to one on the coupon, all the way down at 3.2. So 5 to back, 3.2 fair odds. A huge EV bet. And whilst people are looking at the you know, the 101% pushes, which is the headline thing that everyone's paying attention on, there's literally a coupon sitting in the corner of the shop with a massive bet that everyone can get on it and they can compound it and the stakes aren't limited to £100. I mean, there's so much more attraction over in the corner than there is with the horse pushes. I'm not saying don't do the horse pushes. I'm just saying keep your eyes open for everything else that's going on. Stuff that has higher limits, stuff that can be compounded, stuff that has higher EV. It tends to be a little bit more attractive than the the, the lower hanging fruit that a wider community than Bookie Bash and I've got their eyes on. There's quite a lot of people that are looking for these horse pushes. So yeah, I mean, the, the, the concept is not that we're saying is don't ignore the horse pushes if that's what you love doing. You do you. 
but do be aware that there's other things going on. And Serbia was one of those things. I had locked them into some big coupons. The total goals was with Belgium and France, who we discussed about before. Absolutely smashed their match result in three or more goals. Um, Netherlands, Torquay, Slovakia, Luxembourg against Ireland. By the way, Luxembourg took the lead against Ireland. Couldn't hold on to it. Would have been a good one. That would have been a massive one because score both halves they were 13 to 2. Serbia score both halves was 9 to 1, and then I'd lump them in with Torquay, Wrexham. Again, Netherlands killed us. France, Belgium, a lot of these um, decent results from the night before. So we'd had a good Saturday, and then Sunday the results start to go our way. But those two prices from Serbia, well, look, Serbia are, they do score in the first half um, in the 33rd minute, Tadic. It's one all all the way to the 91st minute in the match. And that means, well, it means kind of like like nil return, meaning that we're getting money back, essentially, on those bets. Um, and I, that's perfectly acceptable. The nature of coupons betting is sometimes that you can have weekends, weeks, even months where you're either breaking even or losing because it's a highly volatile strategy. But in, and I wasn't expecting anything from the Saturday because we've done such a decent Saturday. But then, 91st minute, and there was only a minute's worth of injury time, and I was watching it as well. Serbia, Mitrovic, Newcastle's finest, Mitrovic, gets a winner in injury time, triggering both the 9 to 1 on the score both halves coupon and the 14 to 1 on the match result in three or more goals, the total goals coupon. And of course, we're not talking about 9-1 to and 14-1. to We're talking about compounding these prices in trebles. And all of a sudden, um, profit starts to skyrocket that day. Um, absolutely smashed it that weekend. And it was the way that it won as well, because it was an injury time winner. You know, it was all set up, and it didn't look like it was going to come in. And then it did. And so that my only regret is that I didn't have more money on it um, t times have changed everyone goes through periods of time where you know it's easier to get on and it's harder to get on uh, back in the day when I was part of multiple different betting syndicates and groups it was a lot easier these days um, my betting syndicates are well my opportunities are lower than they've ever been in the last sort of decade but that's okay. Um, I haven't put a lot of effort into sort of generating runners and things like that. But somebody asked on the forums the other day how you go about managing runners. So let me just prepare my notes because I think that is definitely worthwhile of some discussion. So the question posed to us recently was, um, how do you manage your runners and how does it work um, with a group of runners and getting on in shops and stuff like that? And I forget really that I've been doing this for a really long time and some things come naturally and are very easy to understand and possibly some things, some things don't come naturally and are easy to understand and I sort of presume that they are. So um, I thought hard about this and tried to sort of categorize my thoughts into an explanation of both why and how um, having runners is necessary, basically, to be a sort of 
performing advantage player in 2021. Well, even in 2011, it would have been the same. So, look, runners is the is is the term for people that go and place bets on behalf of or in collaboration with other people. Last week, we told we talked to Joseph Buckdal who in his formative years at Cambridge University was a runner for Patrick Veitch, one of the most famous horse racing winners in the country over the last few decades, or maybe perhaps ever. 20 million is the number being bounded around. And um, in the olden days of all forms of gambling, being in part of a group, having runners... Um, was a way of maximising your edge against the bookmaker or the casino. Um, in the MIT students who went to Las Vegas and took down the casinos for millions by counting blackjack, they realised that, yeah, any single person can sit at a table and can count cards and can win. But by forming a group between them, the group was able to do a number of things that the single person cannot do. A group can bounce ideas around each other. A group can, and this is very specific to card counting, but a group can place somebody at the table playing low stakes and they're counting the cards and waiting for the deck to be hot and then they signal to their friend by, I don't know, putting their hand on top of their head or touching their nose or something like that. And their friend comes over, sits down and starts playing large stakes without the need to have been there and counting cards because the logistics would of a single person means that you have to play low stakes until the bets in your advantage uh, the decks in your advantage and then you raise your stakes and that's too obvious for the casino so there's a there's a similar thing with coupons where maybe someone is placing low stakes on a number of teams to work out where the cuts are and then once the cuts are known the player and a friend in the group goes and places large stakes on the known value teams so there's a similarity there between what the guys were doing in the vegas casinos in their in their in their mit blackjack counting uh, teams and you know placing coupon bets in shops it's not just volume but volume is a big part of it anyone that's sort of borrowed their um, auntie's online account or the dog's best friend's mouse's cat's dog um, and has um, um, had a number of accounts online knows that if you are, you know, as long as you're not arbitrage and match betting is a whole different concept, but if you're involved in advantage play, volume is the key to get through anything. It's like, And you just need to keep on placing bets and placing bets and placing bets. And the hard thing, of course, online is that you get restricted and you need more accounts, or you just end up ditching the, the soft bookmakers online, as pretty much I have done, and you focus on trying to win at the exchanges and trying to win at the shops. Winning at the shops, however comes with logistical issues. One, the amount of volume you can get down in the shops is a lot harder than online. It's not impossible to have large volume. In fact, I've had extremely large volume in the past. It is just harder than online. Um, cat, just come on. Is it the weekly cat? Is it that you hear? Don't touch the wires for the microphone, for the love of God. They are finally... Go, 
Gabby, go. Scram. Go. Go. I'll come and give you a hug in a minute. Go. Go. Gabby. Gabby. Come on. Sorry. Shall I edit that? No, I'm not going to bother edit editing that out. Well, I was talking about volume online. I was talking about volume in the shops. It's hard to do. It's not impossible. Right? But the second thing is that a lot of people um, may not live that close to shops. If you're in London, you're spoiled for choice. You can spend a day going around shops and nobody will know that you've visited 10 William Hills and 8 Betfreds and 16 Ladbrokes, although God knows what you'd be doing inside one of those if you were looking for a value. Um, if you live in the north of Scotland, you don't have a single Betfred. And you may have one William Hill that's an hour or more drive from where you are. Now, how are you going to get volume down if you don't have a Betfred and you've got one William Hill that's within an hour? And the answer is be in a team of people who are spread around the country. You might have a friend in Glasgow. You might have a friend in Derby. You might have a friend in Swansea. You might have a friend over here. You might have a friend over there. And all of a sudden, now, if you're in that big team of people, you can form a group and you can start sharing, well, information, sharing profits and things like that. How do you get into the groups? That's the hard bit. The group needs to be trustworthy. Um... Because you're dealing with money and you're dealing with large sums of money, you can't just advertise for somebody on um, um, online on a forum or something like that because an untrustworthy person may go into a shop, have an extremely large win and then never be heard of again when they were meant to split that money up. I've heard of it happening before. It's extremely unfortunate when it does. So how did I get involved? Well... Back in the 2000s, I used to post equity graphs on various different forums. The forums always had like a shelf life of like a year and a half before everyone started falling out and getting angry with each other. And mostly because the way the forums would work is that we'd uncover an edge, we'd start getting, making money, and then people would want to keep that edge to themselves or they'd want to make more of that money. Whenever there's money involved and an edge involved... The forum would inevitably collapse through selfishness or whatever, and then a new forum would pop up, and that would last for a year, a year and a half, two years, two years, and then that um, would collapse as well. How the bookie bashing Discord community is still going after the number of years it's been open is anyone's guess. Anyway, so the forum that I was on would always change and it would always move, and there'd always just be you know a small handful of people, and some of the people were the same people. Every time, and I would post equity graphs. It's like, okay, what do you guys think of this? Do you think that this is an edge? Um, do you think that that is an edge? Does this work? Is this quite right? Is there something wrong with the maths here? That kind of thing. You know what I mean? And through being part of that forum a long time ago, I, I think it might have been um, the introduction of where you could easily communicate with groups through... Um, Th um, through you know the, the mobile technology and that really was a big game changer it's when we could actually start talking in real time instead of submitting a post to a forum in those clunky old days where you know submit your post and then everyone logs on and have, has a look at your post it's not pushed to you in any way when we with the introduction of um, mobile technology and the ability to talk to a group of people in real time that really changed everything and one of the very first groups I was in was the forum members 
uh, from the last forum that I was in, and there was about 26, 27 of them, all got together in um, a, uh, a... Was it what? I'm thinking it was WhatsApp, but I feel like it was earlier than WhatsApp. So I can't... It might have been the very first time I'd heard of WhatsApp. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps it was on a platform before WhatsApp, but if it was, I can't remember what it was. Um, and then we would go on there, and um, this was a group that essentially that just shared information with each other. There are coupons here, edges here, bets here, this here, that here. You, you know what I mean? Um, and within that group, I'd been talking to a lot of these guys for years, although only really knew them by their online names, which is always interesting. You know? um, a few of us would get together in a group, and then um, we would start pulling our money together and saying, look, you know, there are advantages to pulling money together and placing bets and sharing the profits in some way. First of all, so much easier to get through losing runs when you're sharing the losing runs with uh, with other people. If you've lost and lost and lost and lost and lost and lost and lost, there might be a day where you wake up personally and go, I cannot be bothered today. I cannot be bothered to place another bet with this losing run that I've been going. I understand the maths. I understand the variance. I understand that this is possibly still plus EV, but mentally I'm just not in a place where I want to place a bet. Well, being in a group solves that issue because you're probably not going to be share, um, having the same negative experiences or having the lack of energy of somebody else in the group. And the other person in the bet goes and, uh, group goes and places a bet, and that bet wins, and it drags you out of the losing run. And you pro probably wouldn't have been on that bet had you not been in the group, and then you share parts of the profits. So volume increases, variance volatility decreases, and the, smooth, the ride becomes a lot smoother. You can also get on bets that you might not be able to get on yourself. I, historically, have always found it, especially since the kids were born, very difficult to visit betting shops. Why? Well, I'm doing a lot of the intelligence and analytics at the computer. Also, logistically, I live out in a place where there's one William Hill, and if I get banned from there, I'm kind of screwed because I'm now an hour round trip from the next William Hill. And I have little kids. Lots of people have little kids. Nothing that I'm saying is unique to me. Lots of people share these issues. You're very far from the betting shop. You have kids. You have responsibilities. You have to look after somebody. You don't have time for X, Y, Z. You're the one looking at the analytics. So I always had a, a slight difficulty with visiting the shops. But then there are people that want to visit shops that perhaps don't have children or aren't interested in the analytics. They want to be told what to do. And so... Um, Part of this familiar group, the way that we would share it is that somebody would chip in with some intel, somebody would be the key guy to go down and get money. There was one particular guy, I won't say where in the country he was, but his only job was to get a lot of high stakes bets on. He didn't understand why he was getting those bets on, he didn't understand um, the mathematics behind it. Oh, it, it. That's probably not doing him a very good service. He wasn't interested in the mathematics behind it, he never questioned it. You would tell him to go and place a £700 pushes bet. He, he was extremely familiar and friendly with the staff at those shops. And he would get that money on even though it was over the PTL limit. Because he was really, he was an expert at getting money on. He was a great guy to have in the groups. And groups come and go. That was a, a group I was in. Another group I formed with um, old university buddies. Right, who just like to have a little gamble, like to have a little bet. Well, what's nothing? What's more fun than having a little gamble and having a little bet? 
it's gambling and betting um, when you're winning. And all of a sudden, for being low-stakes bettors or normal-stakes bettors, years later, you know, this group is hundreds of thousands of pounds in profit, and being that much in profit allows us to up our stakes and bet significantly higher and sort of push the limits from where we were. So that was another type of group that I was involved in. Now, the two things of these groups is that there was a lot of trust in them. The first group was built up from trust from knowing these guys on the forum. But at the end of the day, before anything happened, it was necessary to meet up and see these per people in person. You've got to do, you can't just rely on knowing an online persona. So that was the first group. And we would have lunches and dinners and then things would sort of grow from there. And the second group, of course, I knew them from university. And then in, in fact, there was one guy that in that group that didn't want to continue because whilst he knew us all, he was uncomfortable with the losing side. In fact, a, a really bad thing happened that we went on a winning run and it was fantastic and we all distributed the money amongst us. And then he took his girlfriend on the most fantastically expensive holiday with the money, whereas the rest of us just put it into our bankroll. And when he came back, we went on an inevitable losing run and all of us that had put the winnings into our bankroll, or at least some of it, comfortably used those winnings to ride the downswing. The one guy in our group who went on the expensive holiday no longer had that buffer, and the downswing caused too much mental anguish for him, and he ended up having to leave, which is, again, no judgment and completely understandable. Sometimes these advantage play and swings are for some people and sometimes they're not for others and that's just the way of the game you wouldn't want everyone to be doing what we're doing because we have such a large slice of the pie ourselves the both the two groups had the same thing in common a lot of trust i know look the guy, anyone from either group could screw us over at any time the guy that goes in and collects twenty thousand pounds in cash from a winning bet could disappear to barbados and you never see him again um it it's the nature of the game uh, you have to be have your wits with you. I certainly wouldn't go into a group with someone I'd only just met, someone I hadn't been on a online forum for for a number of years, somebody that I didn't know from the past. You know, if you just turned around to me and said, do you want to form a group and I didn't know who you were, the answer's going to be no. Which is a bit of a shame because I do want to increase volume. Talking about the Serbia bets, I was only on them in two slips, made mid, mid four figures, but in the past, I would have made easily into five figures when something like Serbia happened. It's because my volume's a little bit down. I really only have, at the moment, 1.5 to 2 runners, and I'm 0.5 of those, and I don't often get to the shops. One guy is completely committed to it, and one guy is half a runner. Mostly, he's half a runner because he has kids. Having kids is a really bad prospect for a runner because you don't have the free time to be able to go and do it. And if any runner ever turns around and says... My wife's pregnant. It's probably the worst news you'll ever hear in your entire life. So how do you go about managing how you pay runners or compensate them and everything like that? Well, that isn't up to me. That's kind of down to your core beliefs, your political beliefs and your ideas of fairness. In the past, I've heard of three different ways of managing um, runners. There's probably more. I'm going to give them the names of Orwellian groups, Thatcherite groups and Marxist groups. Okay, so the philosophy behind an Orwellian group, and there are many of these around, um, is these are just totalitarian control. This is an employer 
employee relationship. I would say you are going to go out. You can I don't know you can have some money from mine as a bankroll, and you're going to go out and you're going to play some bets, and I will pay you for the number of bets that you place or an hourly wage. Or maybe if you get £100 down, I'll pay you £5. You know what I mean? There's a a way of compensation, which is based on the amount of effort that you put in for me. It's nothing more than an employer-employee relationship. And that could work quite well if you've got somebody, like the guy that was in my group, who doesn't have the highest tolerance for risk or variance. They get paid no matter the results. You're, You're confident enough in your edge that you could be maybe say to these guys, you go out and I'm going to have 95% of the winnings and you can have 5% of the winnings. Or I'm going to pay you £10 an hour if you can go out for, you know, 20 hours a week and £200 per week is coming out of your pocket and expenses for getting on. I mean, that'd be £800 a month. And with that runner, you should be making significantly more than £800 a month in EV if you can get them out for 10 hours a week. So that's like a, that's a, the concept of an Orwellian group revolves around the fact that the runner really isn't invested in the winnings. He's just there to place the bets and to have some sort of guaranteed recompense. You then have Thatcherite groups. And I am a big fan of these groups. I've been part of this before. It worked really, really well in terms of incentivization. These are technocratic fiscal conservatism groups. By that I mean you get out the same percentage as you put in. So let's say you and me are in a group and then we both go out and I put down £20 and you put down £80. You've put down four times as much as me and the profits are £1,000. Well you're going to get £800 out and I'm going to get £200 out because you put down four times as much as me. This is sort of the concepts behind fiscal conservatism. This is that if you can go out all day, every day, and put in major effort, you can take out major amounts of money. And if you're only going to dip in and do a little bit of effort, you're only going to take out a little bit. And again, this smooths the variance because you're still able to get on more than you would do normally and more opportunities and things like that. But then it, a fairness is brought in by, look, I, I put in loads more than you have, so I'm going to take out loads more than you have. And from all the groups, I, I, I was really impressed when I saw that working at large scale. I've seen some of these groups that have a huge number of people in them. The management is quite interesting, but it, it works really well if you want to be in a sort of large group of advantage players. I think that's how the MIT students structured themselves as well. And the last group, which is probably my favourite and the one that I'm in just now, is the Marxist group. This is a form of social egalitarianism. It's, uh, by that, it's a branch of libertarian socialism. Everybody is equal and takes out equally regardless of input. Now, why would this work? This sounds like a little bit of a strange concept. The reason why I think this works is probably... It only works if you form your group really well. And the group has to have a lot of trust in it. And you form your group, you maybe form them based on somebody has certain skills, such as they they can get on quite well. They're great with the staff. They've got an ability to visit multiple shops and a willingness and a drive. Somebody else is quite good, perhaps, at admin. Somebody else is quite good at 
intel somebody else is quite good at keeping their eye on everything you, you know what i mean the skills aren't necessarily defined and they don't have to be the same and if you really drill down to the nth degree of these social egalitarianism groups um you'll find that there is going to be an imbalance there is going to be the it's, it won't be possible that everyone gives 20 percent of energy because how do you define energy you know maybe the guy going to the shops enjoys having a little drive around and getting out of the house maybe he doesn't maybe the guy that's coming up with the intel enjoys the problem solving that comes up with that and maybe he doesn't not all effort can be defined in terms of minutes worked or stakes put down or a a sort of defined utility function not everything can be measured like that instead you come up with this concept of fairness and you might say as we have done to one of our group you know what you've just had a baby you've got a little baby at home that's going to take up a significant amount of your time but i know in the past you're a good mate you've put in loads of work for this so you're going to continue taking an equal share out of our group because you've put in great work in the past, even though I know you're not putting in that much just now because your life circumstances have changed. And perhaps in the future, there needs to be a conversation with people around the concept of adding a little bit more or pulling a little bit more weight. But that actually, I find if you get the correct group, that very rarely happens. Other than me moaning to people that nobody updates the, uh, the Excel sheets with records apart from me. No, they do. That's a lie. I moan about that all the time. And three people do, so maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's just good to have a moan. But anyway, this is this sort of Marxist philosophy that works. It works really well if you have the right people and the correct people in the group. We are, everybody's equal, and you're, if there are five of us, your profit will be 20%, regardless of what you've put in in the last month. Um, there are other types of groups. Um some um an interesting one it's sort of based around fiscal conservative conservatism of putting the getting out a the same percentage that you put in but weighted by results if you happen to have been putting great bets in high ev bets for example then you you can turn the um the uh, instead of the ben, the metric that you take out being based around uh, results you, it's based around the EV that you that has been attained or the EV that you put in compared to other people. Basing it around results is always interesting because it sort of adds in that little bit of flavor to it. But again, it has to work um, with a sharing of ideas and a mutual trust. I remember an old group where the, the central core of the group was an early shared spreadsheet um, and the coupon prices. And, and th this is a team of Arbors. So I was in the group, but I wasn't partaking in it because I was never that interested ever in hedging and arbing. But I was watching it from afar. And what would happen is there was a central spreadsheet and it had the back prices in it. And then um, um, it would routinely be updated with some lay prices. And then the Arbs would appear and when they were cut, you could go into the spreadsheet and update the back odds to let everybody know that it was cut. And it was a group of about 20 odd people. And the guy that set the group up, the original guy, the original former who had been, and the group had been going for about a year or so. It was found out that him and his lackey, uh, a mate of his who was also in the group, but was very much the subservient to the main guy. They were finding out about these odds. 
And the difference between arbing and value betting is that because it's risk-free arbing, it all comes down to the volume of money you can get down on it. Whereas in value betting, you will inevitably hit a ceiling where you've maxed out the stake that you want to get on that particular opportunity. And it's never, it's, it, it's always hot. Well, it's infinite with arbing, isn't it? It's as much money as you can get down. And um, what was happening is the guy might see a bet that was 11 to 10 in the shops and the lay had come into 1.9, so 2.1, 1.9. And he's getting, you know, 20 odd quid back for every 100 pounds he's putting down on that. Or 10, sorry, it would be about 10 pounds for every 100 pounds he was putting down that when you're laying it off. And that was free money to the guy. And so what he would do is he would go into the spreadsheet or his lackey would go into the spreadsheet and he would cut the odds to 1.8. But it was still held at 11 to 10 in shop. He wanted to use the community and the knowledge that was involved in setting the system up together for, for intelligence and information to be shared around a wide group quickly. But then he used that to his own personal advantage and realized he wasn't robbing from people. He wasn't stealing money. He was stealing opportunity. He was stealing information. He was fraudulently changing the 11 to 10 to 1.8 so that he could have all of the arbitrage opportunity himself and allow nobody else to get on. And that is the danger with these groups, especially with people you haven't met in person or you haven't known for a long time. Or even if you had, someone can always turn on you. It's not always about collecting £20,000 and disappearing to Barbados, never to be heard of again. It's also about restricting information, fraudulently changing information, that kind of thing. So if you do decide to get into a group, well... If you're not in one already, that will be the single thing that starts to skyrocket your profit. For me, in fact, what I know is that my two runners that I have just now isn't enough. I should be looking at six or seven or eight. And I need to I need to focus on that part of the game just now. And it's part of the game. It's not just about advantage play, finding edges, winning. It's also about the logistics. And I haven't taken care of the logistics myself. And so I'm making less money these days than I was before because I haven't taken care of the logistics because I don't have a large number, amount of runners. So I need to go away and look at it. But it's not as easy. You do need that trust bit. And you can't put a unit metric on trust. That's where the internal belief of who you're dealing with and what their motives are all comes into it. Right. Well, I hope that was helpful. Uh, PDC Darts World Championships start next week, which means that next Wednesday it is the start of Christmas. Oh, I've never been. I've still never been to the Alley Pally. It's my dream to go to the uh, to go and see the darts. Twenty. Look at this. I literally just saw this in the last ten seconds before clicking record. Got Wikipedia open. Last year, Gerwin Price beat Gary Anderson seven three. But how many? Different people have been in the last four finals of the PDC World Championships, 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. Anyone? Any guess? Uh, seven people have been in the final in the last eight years. Only Michael Van Gerwen has been in it twice. Michael Van Gerwen won it in 2019 against Michael Smith and was runner-up against Peter Wright in 2020. Gerwin Price beat Gary Anderson last year, and it was Rob Cross, uh, Phil Taylor, the year before. So in the last, um, in the last f 
four years, seven different people out of the eight contestants. Also, if you want to bet on a scoreline, and this, of course, means nothing, uh, since 2017, it's gone 7-3, 7-2, 7-3, 7-3, and 7-3. Uh, it was a little bit closer back in the day when Taylor and Anderson were fighting out seven sixes and things like that. Taylor 7, Peter Manley nil in 2006 was a whitewash. Taylor 7, Peter Manley nil in 2002 was a whitewash. And Taylor 6, Priestley nil in 1998 was a whitewash. So there you go. 7-3 seems to be a pretty popular scoreline. So my edge mostly for... um, for darts is around the 180s markets. Um, we model 180s by... Well, I'm very, always very impressed by people that model it independently. And modeling it independently all comes down to whether the, you can get hold of the data or not. Because I have looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. And it doesn't seem that having um, easily accessible darts data is something that... You know, there's no service out there that seems to just be paying a subscription fee for it. But I do notice that flash scores um, have dart by dart, which is really what you want for your database. The only problem is they don't store the data for a very long time. So it's not like you just go there and log it all going backwards. You would almost need to scrape information like that and build your own database up in real time. But we take all the 180s from benchmark sources, so spreads, places like that. We take an average. We use a um, Skellum distribution, which is essentially just, you know, using Poisson to work out a number of 180s in a match based on the expected number. And then you can use uh, model 0, 0, 1, 0, 2, 0, all the permutations of each player to throw each number of 180s and add them up. And you get your probability of the player having the most 180s at the end of that process. It's not the most finely accurate way of modelling 180s, but it is good enough to have a long-term edge. Um, We put the tool up to do it for us, because doing it manually all the time is a pain in the bum. So now we have a tool to do it automatically uh, in the middle of 2020. And then we take a few bets from the tool player to have the most 180s in a match, uh, player to have over 180s, player to have the most 180s in the session is a fun one as well. A lot of, the, a lot of um, different numbers around the bookmakers for players to have most 180s in the session, and that can create some really, really high EV, some really, really high winners on that as well. Um, since the beginning of 2020, we've logged 813 bets in 13 different tournaments. That's the Premier League the Grand Prix, the European Championships, the Grand Slam, last year's World Championships, the Masters, UK Open, Premier League of Darts, this year, uh, the World Series of Darts. And um, of those 813 bets, 247 winners, staking each bet to win £200, would have had 80,000 staked for 7,000 profit with an ROI of about 8.5%. So it's not a bad ROI considering a lot of these bets are odds on and around about evens and stuff like that. Um, having somebody on the podcast, hopefully soon, hopefully next week, who I'm going to try and drill down to the mathematics behind why you have higher ROIs at higher odds. I've seen it at a number of different um, sources. Um, uh, I just can't quite get my head around it yet. But 
appears to be true. The largest winner we had in the Premier League of Darts, uh, this means nothing, by the way, because we're 800 odd bets, but 40 to 1, James Wade, to have the most 180s on night 16 at both Skybet, Coral, and Ladbrokes. Fair odds of 27.8, and it came in. James Wade did have the most money. I think he was 33 to 1 at um, Betfred as well. So easy to get on, and decent, um, yeah, sort of decent returns and decent EV to be had by that. So we've done the 13th tournament, the PDC World Championships. Next week will be the 34th tournament. Sorry, 34th tournament, 14th tournament. And the edges will be around number of 180s in, in a session. So there's two sessions, afternoon, evening. Uh, the number of 180s, the player to have the most 180s in the session. Um, and the player to have the most 180s in the game. The, we do do things like summaries of like player to win and over 180s. I've never actually seen one of those be plus EV, even the boosted bets. So, but I mean, all of that data is drilled down in the 180s tool if necessary. But it's not the 180s that caught my eye. Um, it was the 170s. I thought I prepared the blog here. Because I wrote a little blog on it. Um, 170s in the PDC World Championships. There have been an average of 2.49 170s. That's a, a checkout with a triple 20, triple 20, and then bullseye. Fallon Sherrick did it famously recently. There's a video of her. Um... Did a 170 output, um, finish, checkout, and then I showed my daughter, and my daughter's six, and she just loves it. All the, She's doing it against the guy, all the crowd are behind Fallon, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, listen, um, there's been 2.49, but get the distribution, right? I've only got a graph here, I wish I had the numbers, but the distribution was um, none in 94 and none in 95. Two in 96... Four and ninety-seven, and then a stretch of years: one zero, one zero, and zero. So there was two one seventy checkouts in five years. And since two thousand and three, there's always been a one seventy checkout, but it's been two two one two one, three one. And then since two thousand and ten, four two two three, a huge number of six in twenty sixteen. Drink. Two and two only seventeen, and then we hit twenty eighteen. Six in twenty eighteen. 3 in 2019, 8 in 2020, 7 in 2021. So there's a real uptick. You know, we're now averaging, the three-year average is around 6 now, although the 25-year average is 2.49. So what's going on? Well, okay, we do have a few more games and a few more sets and a few more legs than we did in the early years, but even per leg, there is a massive uptick. Could it be that... Well, you know how Van Gogh famously targets a 170 checkout? He does it in 8% of legs, compared to the next person, Anderson, who only does it in 5% of legs. He does it when he's so far ahead in the leg, he's not going to lose. He doesn't need it. He's comfortably ahead. He does it even when he needs to win the leg, and it's dangerous to do it because there are easier ways of setting out more uh, mathematically proven um, checkouts where, you know, if you miss the number and you slide into the single you're still going to leave yourself with a um, with a decent checkout. The 50 is a really bad way of... The bullseye is a bad way of doing that because you slip into the 25. You're left with 25. You've now got to do 988 or something like that, or 5-10. But he'll go for it because, well, perhaps he's made an assessment that a 170 checkout is worth more than just winning the leg. 
it can fuel the crowd and demoralize an opponent and just perhaps that advantage is worth more than the risk of the checkout itself and that realization amongst the best players may have seen a higher number of attempts in recent years and if that is a plausible and logical explanation it would account for that increase since about 2015 where there was you know before 2015 two to three 170 checkouts a year and then afterwards up now six checkouts a year seven eight or it could be that it's just short-term data there is there is no real reason behind the increased frequency between 2016 and 2021 other than variance in a larger data set a, a short-term blip so looking at historical data makes it very difficult to work out a mean for this year simply going by number of 170s per tournament so what if we benchmark off the sources that we usually do well looking at sporting index they've got a sell of 5.5 and a buy of six for total 170s so depending on where you whether you think the bias is at the no bias which is the midpoint of 5.75 or bias in the sell so 5.5 is more likely or bias in the six six is more likely it's one of those numbers it's 5.5 5.75 is six what about spread x they don't have total 170s they do have total 170s squared with a midpoint of 29.5, taking the square root of that, you're down at 5.5. So spread X are around about 5.5. Sporting index are around about 5.75. Looking at the last three years, we're around about 6. The last five years, we're around about 5.75. That all ties in. And then you go to the bookmakers. And what are the bookmakers offering? They've got an evens line around 4.5. William Hill, under over 4.5. 1.91 under, 1.8 over. They've got slightly under 4.5. Skybet, 11 to 10, 5 plus 170 checkouts in the tournament. They're slightly higher than William Hill, but they're still between about 4.5 and 5. Bet 365, they don't go to 4.5, 5.5. They do go to 3.5 over 1.4 under 2.75. Extrapolating that number... And then applying some markup and working out what line they've used. They've gone for 4.5. Every bookmaker I've looked at has gone for 4.5. So there's value somewhere. Is the value at the sell line of the spreads, the 5.5-ish, 5.75? Or is the value backing the over with the bookmaker? And this now comes down to personal subjective reasoning. And I'm looking at the data in the graph and I'm having to think about the darts that I've watched this year and I'm going with I'm going with the values at the bookmaker which is also the fun bit because it means I can get a lot more money on uh, so I reckon the 170 line is closer to 5.5 that however would suggest that every bookmaker has priced it up too low what are the odds that every bookmaker prices it up too low well, I don't know how many odds compilers out there have come up with a 170 checkout line. It's not impossible that the number is one. You know what I mean? I've seen bookmakers price up a line and every other bookmaker copy it before. It happens all the time in horse racing. It's not impossible that everybody waited for the first bookmaker to price up the 170s line. They, book, they priced it up at 4.5 and the rest of the bookmakers just copied it. 
which means it's great for me because I can now have my choice of online bookmakers, which is near nil, or I can walk into William Hill and Betfred and Paddy Power and choose there. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm going to take over 3.5 at 3 to 10. I'm probably, you know, it's not that much fun betting at 3 to 10. But I'm definitely having over 4.5 at 3 to 5 and over, over 5.5 at 6 to 5 and over, and over 6.5 at 9 to 4 and over. I've actually seen that over 6.5, if you can get a decent amount down on boosts at Skybet, I think they priced it at either, was it 5 to 1 or 6 to 1? I'm going to go there now and have a look. For any, I can't do this. Skybet have had enough of me, especially on the boosts. But if anyone's got a boost, under darts, tournaments, specials, and requester bets, 7 plus 170 checkouts in the tournament is 4 to 1. I'd take 9 to 4. I would take 9 to 4 now. So 4 to 1 is an unbelievable price. If you think that 5.5 is the line and 4.5 isn't the line. And I, I simply do. So the next bash cast will probably be in the middle of the PDC World Championships. Let's come back to this in two bash cast time. And we'll see if we made any money. At over 4.5, over 5.5, and over 6.5. All right, guys, that's enough for this week. Well, uh, I was going to talk about golf in 2021 and virtual doubles, but I've run out of time. One hour 20 is enough of your time, let alone enough of mine. Uh, next podcast, hope, hoping to have a guest on for a little bit of a chat, even if we don't have a guest on. We'll still get the bash cast out. Anyway, and uh, word of warning. If you, uh, yeah, if you happen to write into the mailbag recently, why you're a prick, we'll return for the final Bashcast of the year. So have a good weekend, guys. Get out there. Don't make it about you. Go and find somebody. Spread a little bit of love. If you make one person's weekend better, or even just a day better, then that's a success in my books. <laughs>